Welcome to Things That Will Help with Buffy Barfoot. This podcast explores what it's like to be human and how to find tools to feel clear, grounded, and happier. The weekly theme will be simple as well as rich and something you can apply to your real life. The human stories ahead do not negate the hard or the dark, but rather point to the lighthouses along the way. This is Buffy. Hey, hey, everybody. I want to start us off today with a story. Um, This story has nothing to do with the podcast or this episode, but I just have to, I just have to tell you the story because it has made me laugh for the last couple of weeks and it's just been very life-giving to me <laughs> and, and very funny. So I just want to tell you this. Um, I was reading to my daughter, Coretta, who's three. We had a stack of books. It was bedtime, bedtime books. And she's curled up next to me in PJs and we're all snuggled in and um, one of the books that was in the stack that we were going to read was The Ugly Duckling. And so I said to her, which book do you want to start with? And she said, she looked for a minute at the stack and then she pointed to that one and she said, I want to read The Fucking Chicken. (laughs) And I was like, baby... (laughs) Maybe I didn't hear her right. So I said, which book did you want to read? And she said it a little louder. She goes, I want to read the fucking chicken. (laughs) And so I was crying and just crying as I opened the book. And no adult was there to witness this with me. It, (laughs) It did happen. It was very funny. I did make it through the book. She looked at me as if to wonder, what are you laughing at? She had no idea what I was laughing at. And I, I tears were just streaming down my face. Um, I made it through. I got through the book. I read her a couple other books, put her to bed. I went and told Matt. We laughed and we laughed <laughs> and we laughed. And then... The next day, I held up the book and I said, what is this book called? And she said, The Ugly Duckling, as if she had never said it before. But um, this story, Whenever I Feel Blue, has just given me some life. And I hope that it does the same for you, the fucking chicken. (laughs) Okay, Uh, let me switch gears a little bit now. Um, An interesting thing that happens to me once I start forming an idea for an episode topic, it's, it's like once I decide what I want to talk about, that topic takes on a life of its own and it becomes a magnet and draws in other things around it and around me that are similar like if my topic was the color blue, then suddenly people would begin to tell me out of nowhere about their experience with the color blue. And then I'll start seeing the color everywhere and see it in new ways. And it will land on my desk in auspicious and serendipitous ways. And the more I think about blue, the more this happens. 
which I believe is true in certain ways for all of us. I think we magnetize and draw near what we're spending time on, what we value and what we think about. We become more of the waters that we swim in. So my question to all of us, including myself, is how can we become more conscious of those waters and pay attention to what takes up our time, both inner and outer time? I've been dabbling in the practice of visualization for much of my life, even as far back as when I was a teenager. When I was dancing, um, which started when I was very young, but then I started to get very serious about it as a teenager, I had tremendous stage fright, and I would have to work so hard not to completely shut down and run away when it was time to perform. And it was, it was like paralysis, really. I had to work through it every time I got on stage. And so in response to that terror, I developed a practice of visualization. And once I learned the dance choreography, after I had it in my body, I would spend time every single day visualizing myself dancing, performing all of the steps, executing them with calm energy. And I would visualize each turn, each pirouette, each extension of my leg to completion. And I would also visualize seeing the audience, seeing them and not feeling anxious and even enjoying the process of performing so that the fruits of my labor, all the hours of rehearsing, coalescing into a pleasurable demonstration of mastery. I would train my mind to actually see it happening in real time. But not only that, I would train myself to feel all the feelings of success attached to that execution. And it took a lot of practice. When I first started doing it, it was really muddy and I couldn't quite see it. But after lots and lots of practice, I started to be able to visualize it pretty well. And I, it definitely got better over time. Later, much later, when I started teaching yoga and doing big conferences and teaching lots of teacher trainings, I would duplicate that same visualization process when I had to speak in front of people and I would feel the same kind of fear and panic. I would visualize it going well and I would see myself calm and bright, connected with the audience and even, even having a good time in the whole experience. And so this practice has been with me in different types of experiences. I once injured myself while I was teaching in Japan, which was really hard. Um, and I tore my ACL almost as soon as I got there. And I was scheduled to be there a long time. It was, it was really hard. And at that point, I was practicing yoga like two hours a day. And I was very fit and committed to staying that way, if at all possible. But when I... When I had this injury, I couldn't really walk. And so it was hard to keep up any kind of practice. But I started using visualization. And I would create a yoga sequence and I would write it down 
like a 30-minute long sequence. And then I would lie down or sit down in meditation and I would actually visualize myself doing each pose. I would breathe and I would see myself holding the pose, see myself situating into the alignment. And then I would I would watch myself transition to the next thing. And I would try to not rush it. I think that that was the hardest part, but I would try to slow down and actually see it in real time in my body. When we do this, we are creating and strengthening neural pathways. This is incredibly powerful and not enough people practice this or know how transformative it can be. It actually can create healing. Visualizing things like this can create healing in your actual body when you do this. It's not pretend, but it's so, so helpful in so many different situations. Because I couldn't move or or have much of a practice at all, this regular daily visualization saved my life. It saved my sanity during that time. And I think it was one of the reasons that I was able to heal so well and stay so clear in my body and why when I was able to go back to yoga, the memory of that was was really present. And so this practice of visualization has been on my mind a lot as I gear up for major ankle surgery in October because I'm going to be very sedentary and not, not weight-bearing for a good long time. But I want to make certain that my healing is not going to be sedentary. And so this practice, I think, is going to be really super helpful. And I wanted to tell you guys about it. Um, first off, I'm going to visualize symmetry in my body, particularly my ankles and my lower legs, pulling light from healthy parts of my body and pouring that into my injury or my surgical site, which thank you, Bridget. Um, my dear friend, who's also a Reiki master, told me that this is called polarity therapy, and I've been researching this more. So luckily, we have this whole inner life that we can play with. We can visualize it any way we want to. And here's the thing. I really think it makes a difference. It makes a difference what we do with that thinking. It creates neural pathways that can change the course of our lives and make us better, more clear, healthier, more capable, stronger, all while we're just lying on pillows in our bed. It's so, so cool. The practice itself is clarifying and toning for the mind just because you get better at thinking this way. And it it will inevitably feel very vague and sticky and sort of muddy at first and you can't really see what you're trying to see but if you stick with it I promise that you will you will start to get better at it and you'll see good things come from it and I think the key is as always with the establishment of rituals and habits start small a couple of minutes tops Don't start with 30 minutes because you'll get frustrated and quit. Start with two minutes and do that for a couple of weeks and really sharpen what you're seeing and the motions that you're going through. And then keep increasing your time because you'll have to build the muscle for this. Another way that this 
this topic kind of came into my week as I was sitting with my teacher and she was talking about manifesting and visualizing the life that we want or something that we want in particular. And she said that sometimes, and this feels really important. She said that sometimes if we are visualizing what we want to manifest as our so-called future version, we may have to change something about our current situation in order to accommodate that future version, something that is contradictory right now. For example, say that you're kind of stuck in a scarcity cycle and you're trying to visualize more money in your life to take care of yourself and your needs um, or just for pleasure. But as you start to visualize more money and less scarcity, you might bump into something and notice that there is a bit of healing that needs to be done around money for you, around the perception of money and what you feel like you deserve. I've talked to a lot of people in the healing arts about this in particular, an artist to people who have devoted their lives to teaching yoga or Reiki or meditation or acupuncture, things that will like that, that'll help support people to heal, support others to heal. But I think there's this underlying cultural opinion sometimes that those folks shouldn't be paid as much as other people in other fields because they are uh, light workers and they should should want to donate their time and just help. Well, I think when we when that's kind of the common way we think about it, what you end up with is a group of people, a group of healers who can't pay their bills and can't meet their own needs. And then they begin to question the path they're on and maybe even resent it, even though it's incredibly necessary and helpful to others because their basic needs are not being met as they're helping other people. So this is just an example. But as you start to play with visualization and seeing the actual life and healthy body and mind that you want and deserve, then it's truly worth thinking about um, what deeper things you might need to change that are obstacles in your way to becoming that. So in terms of like thinking about money, heal your relationship with money, practice the feelings of worthiness and value in relationship to your work and your monetary value. And this will often, often free up what is keeping you stuck there. We, we sometimes I think have to turn ourselves inside out in order to find the stone that sits in the middle of the road. Um, because we can't see it always because it's always been there. And sometimes it's a cultural, cultural idea. Um, And then, of course, as with all things, we need balance. We are in collaboration with the universe, spirit, God, the divine, whatever you choose to call that. You are dancing and partnering with that energy. And so we can visualize and practice manifesting what we think and hope is best for us. And then I think it's good to stay in tune in case things need to need to change and shift. 
So here's a real life example of this. When I first started this podcast, I really wanted it to blow up. I wanted to, I wanted the podcast to get really big. I wanted to write a book and tell stories and have a successful, uh, have a successful outlet to get to people. And I started to visualize that the podcast blowing up and try, I tried to see that happening. I was intent on manifesting that. But when I started to dig underneath those hopes about podcast numbers growing, what I discovered I really want is to help people, to give people permission to find themselves and to celebrate their unique humanity. I want to offer things that will help in whatever way that that makes sense, whether it's a podcast, a book, courses I offer, talking to people one-on-one, whatever. Because I think life has historically been pretty hard for me and I I have excavated some tools that have helped and I want to share those tools. So my visualization and manifestation process has evolved. I no longer think about podcast numbers growing and stop there or the book being published and stop there. I would love that, yes. But what I practice now is my offerings helping as many people as possible and I practice feeling that and owning that which has brought up some obstacles to be truthful. So when I was talking about money a few minutes ago, I have to practice the blockages around that, that my work has monetary value in the world, even though it's not always culturally seen that way. And it's a little bit watery, just like, you know, a landscaper, a preschool teacher or a steel worker. This work has value too, and I have to practice seeing it as such for anything to grow and flourish in its fullest form. And where the collaboration with spirit comes in is maybe it looks like a bigger audience for this podcast, but maybe it actually is something totally different that I can't even see yet. And when I focus on the feelings I want to feel and the feelings I hope others get to feel from this work, then it leaves room for the manifestation of my best offering, whatever that is, to look a lot of different ways, ways that I might not even be able to imagine today. So that's the balance of visualizing something specific, but leaving room for the universe to interpret it and collaborate with you for something new entirely and it leaves room for mystery and beauty to show up unexpectedly and the lucky praise for the lucky right so we move this rock of rigidity out of the road and we stay then incredibly present while still seeing and feeling and practicing specific goals it's not that we don't have those it's that we're just present and fluid enough to be able to lean different ways. my um, So here's another something I want to talk about in the context of this, and this is legacy. My dear friend, brilliant writer and thinker, Kelly Puig, um, she wrote in a recent post on Instagram, there are images that live inside each of us. This one lives at my core. And it's this picture, the what went along with this caption is this picture of this gorgeous underwater 
purple clownfish on purple anemone that her dad took deep beneath the sea. And she went on to write and said the image would eventually go on to define her and her father both. That it was like one of those formative images of her life. And while I was looking at that, her pose made me think about the ways in which we inherit inner maps, inner plans, inner pictures of how the world should be and how we should be inside of it. Part, and this is so essential, part of being a seeker is deciding if these inherited images or ideas or are ours to keep practicing or do we let go of them so they become food for something else? Are they ours? Are they part of our ongoing legacy? Or do they just need to dissolve? And this is like going back to that idea of we become the water we swim in. But the key here is consciousness. How conscious can we be of the water that we were born into? So becoming awake to what is our legacy and the images and the words and the stories that we carry forward. So as you curate what is in your living room and your kitchen, and you pick your colors and your pillows and your dishes and all of that, you can also curate what exists in your inner life. It just takes practice. So again, daily little chunks, small amount of time, more often. I think is better than a long amount of time every now and then. Because in little chunks, it helps to train, train your brain and it trains those neural pathways. Um, my patron of honor this week is Kelly Puig, um, who I just quoted. Kelly is a sister, just a really amazing soul sister of mine. She's an art maker, a writer, a mythologist. She looks at things from a really curious angle, which I think makes her a profound artist. Um, Kelly's book called The Book of Embers is slated to be published soon. And I feel so lucky to sit near her and to watch her mind work. This book will really make you work for its treasure, which is one of Kelly's superpowers. Um, after I talk with her, I feel like I've been on a really deep excursion and come up from the depth with like this treasure <laughs> of solid gold. Here's something that she wrote. She and I were talking about this podcast topic a few days ago, and this is what she wrote in response. To choose to untangle all that inhabits us from all that we've inherited is the gateway to inhabit yourself in altogether new measures to make yourself a home that can withstand the weather, to make yourself a window into light and dark, unafraid because the learnings are never not numinous. Oh, so good. So when her book comes out, run, run, run to get a copy. You will not be sorry. Um, it will be full of riches. And I will put Kelly's Insta handle in the show notes so that you can get a glimpse of her goodness. So much love to all of you. Um, read the fucking chicken. <laughs> uh, I wish I had it on video. 
um, know that I'm cheering you on. I'm cheering all of us on because as beautiful as this life is, it is also hard and we need small tools to make it all okay. Please, if you are enjoying this pod regularly, become a patron. You can find the link in the show notes to do so and check out things that will help on Spotify. There's a playlist for every episode made by Matt Cooper and they are spectacular. Blessings on your day. Thank you. Thank you.